we are going to jump into the message this morning. I have a ton of notes today. I'm just warning you. I'm going to try to move really fast this morning because I, I don't want to, you know, be here till one o'clock any more than you do. <laughs> but uh, there's a, there's a lot that I want to talk about this morning, and uh, so here's what I'm going to encourage you to do. Uh, this is a very practical message. We're going to be talking, uh, we've been in a series about relationships. Last week we talked about romance. The week before we talked about friendship. This week we're talking about family. And, and I have a lot of different thoughts this morning and a lot of things that, that maybe you could take and apply to your life. But, but here's the deal. If you just listen to this and walk out of here, you're probably not going to do anything about it. It's probably not going to change anything about your life. Uh, um, so identify something that, that you can do this morning. And I'd ask that you just write it down as, as you hear it, as something resonates with you, as the Holy Spirit's putting something on your heart. Write it down this morning, either if you have a bulletin or maybe on your cell phone, on your notes app or something like that. But just, just take something this morning that you can use in your family, in your life, that will be practical, that will apply to your life. And, and I believe that God will honor that as you're faithful in that way. Can we do that? Not if you're with me. All right, sweet. All right, well, this morning I'm going to be talking about family and I thought, well, I'll just use an example of a healthy family in the Bible. And, and that should be easy enough to find, right? So, <laughs> so I started at the beginning, right? Started flipping through my Bible, Adam and Eve, right? First family, that's great. Oh, except their, their, their kids murdered each other. <laughs> Not cool. Okay, well, let's, let's move on. Maybe Noah. Like Noah was this righteous man. Uh, the Bible talks about how he and his family were saved, and, and they got to have a great relationship, right? And then there was the, the ark, and, and everything was good there, but then there was this whole, like, he was in a tent and drunk and naked, and his kids uncovered. I don't even know what's going on there. Noah ends up cursing his grandson, probably not the best example to use talking about a healthy family relationship. But then you got Abraham, right? Abraham was the father of a nation. Perfect, right? Like his family ended up being like God's family in this picture of God's family. Well, then I read about how he banished his son and his mother because uh, his wife was mad at them. And then he pretended that his wife was his, his sister at one point. I'm like, this is not going well. Let's go to the next generation. So we got Isaac. Well, his sons hated each other. In fact, they, Jacob stole from Esau Esau tried to kill Jacob. Um, eventually, they, they redeemed that relationship, but not the most healthy relationship. So you'd think, surely, Jacob would have learned from his father and his mistakes and the whole favoritism thing that they, they had going on. And uh, Jacob, his family had to be better, right? Well, here come the children wars, <laughs> also known as the battle of the wives and their handmaidens, okay? Uh, so like one wife had kids, one wife couldn't, one wife was jealous, and so she gave her handmaiden to the husband, and then they had kids, and then the other wife was like, well, I can do that too. So now we have both wives, both handmaidens, lots of kids, lots of problems, and eventually they sold Rachel's kid into slavery, all right? Messed up family. Let's keep going. Moses right? Moses, Moses. Yeah, he was, he was saved by his mother and sister when he was a little child, um, partnered with his brother to lead the children out of Egypt, had a great relationship with his father-in-law, like some healthy stuff going on there. I think we have a winner until Numbers chapter 12. <laughs> Moses marries a Cushite woman. Miriam and Aaron criticize him. They're both struck with leprosy by God. 
this is exhausting, right? Then there's David. Okay, we already talked about David with friendship. This guy has got to have gotten it right. Uh, he's, he's a family man. How many wives did he have again? Oh, concubines. What are those? I, uh, and then his son tries to usurp his throne. I mean, everything is going wrong. Okay, let's just, I'm done with the Old Testament. Let's move on to the New Testament. Jesus had to have had the perfect families. He was the perfect man. He lived a sinless life, the son of God himself. He never did anything wrong. But his family didn't even like him. Like, they, they criticized him. In fact, John chapter 7 talks about how his family was actually mocking him. And in fact, John 7, 5 says his own brothers did not believe in him. At least we can say whose fault that was, right? Because Jesus was perfect. <laughs> Come on, James. Like... <laughs> But, okay, I was thinking about that, too. Now, imagine for a second that you had a perfect brother. I mean a perfect brother who never did anything wrong his entire life. Imagine how hard that would be to live up to, right? Imagine how difficult that would be. If you want a reference, you can ask my younger brothers. <laughs> they can share. Even Jesus... Even Jesus had difficulty in his family. And, and what I've come to the conclusion after all that study, there were no perfect families in the Bible. Now that might be the most encouraging and the most discouraging thing that you hear this morning. Um, encouraging if you've already lived a mess of a family, right? Discouraging if you're like, oh, I was expecting my family to be perfect. Well, guess what? It's not going to be. You're going to have hardship. You're going to have difficulty. But the Bible does give us a lot of teaching and instruction about how to be a good family. Not a perfect family, but a good family. Uh, in fact, I had a great family growing up. Uh, I put us against Adam and Eve's family any day. I mean, all of all three of my brothers we're all living right now, so um, that's a that's a bonus, right? Uh, and and the family that I have now, we have a great family. Now we still have a long way to go raising our kids, but so far they're alive, right? And they're doing well, and we're excited about what God is doing in their hearts and in their lives. And there are some things that I've learned over the years, both in my family and in the family that that. I'm leading now, and things that I've learned from the Word of God that I believe will help us with our families as well. So, like I said, practical message, jot a few notes down, write some thoughts down this morning as we go through a lot of different things, and something that resonates with you that you can apply to your life. Can we do that? Ready? Okay. So four things this morning uh, that, that I want to encourage you in to do with your family, things that I believe will make you strong, will make you healthy, will will build your family up in the Lord. The first one is my favorite. It's to have fun together. It's to have fun together. One of the biggest problems with families today is that they don't know how to have fun. They're too negative. They're too tired. They're too serious. Now, there, there are things we need to take seriously, right? And not everything can be fun in games, but not everything should be serious either. In fact, God wants you to have fun. It's in the Bible. I'm going to show you. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 15. And I commend joy, for a man has nothing better under the sun but to eat, drink, and be joyful. For this will go with him in his toil 
through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. In other words, God wants you to have fun. He wants you to enjoy life. First Timothy 6, 17, as for the rich, as, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Right? God gives you exactly what you need to have joy in this life. And he wants your family to have fun together. Can I tell you something? It is an honor to have kids. All right? Um, in Ephesians, Paul tells us that children are a gift from God. Sometimes they're not the best gift in the world, but, but most of the time, they're a great gift from God. God wants to give you good things, and so he gave you your children to bless you. Uh, there was a survey taken of kids a while back, and, and um, they asked kids, what things do you like to do with your family? What things do you like to do? Do you know what the number one thing was that they chose? I've shared this before. You maybe have heard this before. It was playing board games with their family. Board games? Like, playing board games? <laughs> that was really surprising to me. It wasn't playing video games. It wasn't watching movies. Now, some of you are saying, um, listen, I don't want to play board games with my kids. I hate board games. That's not fun. The point isn't playing board games. It's doing something where you can actually interact with one another. Your kids don't want the things that you can buy them. They want you. Right? They want to spend time with you. They want to have relationship with you. And so find something that you can do where you actually have interaction with them, where you get to know them. Do you know how, do you, how you spell the word love? Love is spelled T-I-M-E. Right? The time that you invest in your children is the way that you show them that you love them. Yesterday, uh, my daughter Mia had a soccer tournament, and so I took her to the first game, which was in Woodbury. Oh. Oh. So we're driving all the way across town, and her first game was at 10.30 in the morning. We had to be there half an hour before, so we left at 9. We got there at 10. Sat there for a half an hour in the freezing cold, and it was cold yesterday. And I love watching my kids play soccer. It was a blast. We had a good time. The game got over, and we got back in the car, and we headed back. And here was the plan. The plan was I was going to go to the first game, then I was going to bring Mia back, and then uh, I was going to stay home for the second game with, with our other kids, and Laura was going to take Mia for the second game. Well, we got home, and the other girls decided, we want to go to Mia's game too. So I had a choice in that moment of staying home alone by myself and having to preach a message the next day on the importance of spending time with your family. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. You played into the decision, okay? I'm like, okay, we're going to the game. You know what? We had a good time. We had a good time together. We went out to eat together. Um, and here's, here's what I'm seeing happening in our world. When parents don't have time for their kids... They'll try to compensate for that lack of time by buying them everything that they want. Can I tell you something? If you do that, you're setting yourself up, your kids up for failure. You're setting them up for, for disappointment. Now, I would say be willing to spend money on your family, right? But invest in quality experiences 
not in gifts to make up for the lack of time that you spend with them. Quality time is an investment, sometimes both financially and uh, in, in your time calendar as well. Last year, we took a trip to Arizona, and it was a pretty big investment for us to fly our family to Arizona. Uh, we have five of us. That's five plane tickets, um, and, and that adds up, and then all of the other things that are associated with the vacation. So we did some things to, to make it affordable, and, and uh, we, we planned, and, and we booked our trip, and then about a couple weeks before our trip, we realized that we booked our vacation the same time as Kayla's class trip. And now she very unselfishly said, it's fine, I can miss it, but we could tell that was, she was sad about that, right? That, that this was disappointing. So we ended up moving our trip from the end of the week of spring break to the beginning of the week of spring break. It cost us hundreds of dollars to change our tickets, right? Uh, but I would do it again in a heartbeat. It was worth it. It was worth it for our family, and we had one of the best times on that trip. It was so much fun. Uh, I, I can't wait to do another trip like that again. Now, here's the deal. If you can't afford big experiences, quality time always beats money, right? The time that you spend with your family, you don't need to spend a lot of money to make um, an experience worthwhile. You can find things to do with your family that are cheap, that are fun, that you can do together. And, and maybe your investment isn't so much from your wallet, it's, it's in the sacrifice of time that you could be doing other things. So have fun together. Second thing is protect each other. Protect each other. Matthew 5.45 says this, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Can I tell you something? You don't have to wonder if things in your life will be a challenge for you. They will, right? You're going to go through hardship. You're going to go through struggles. And God designed the family to stand with each other and protect each other through those hard and difficult times. Ecclesiastes 4, 9, and 10 says, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fail, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone, and when he falls, has not another to lift him up. Um, we just saw the, the devastation of the hurricane down in Florida uh, over the past couple of weeks. And, and, you know, we don't deal with tropical storms here in Minnesota or hurricanes, thankfully. But we all have life storms that affect us and that affect our families. Maybe some of you are going through a storm in life right now. You know, there are three areas, three types of storms that I see that really affect families in a major way. Uh, the first one is change. Now, change could be something big in your life, like maybe you move to a new area, or maybe you change careers, or, or maybe you're going through uh, a big change uh, in, in your family. Maybe you're adding children. Maybe um, you went through something difficult, uh, and it, it caused you to, to maybe shift something in your life. Uh, I was just talking to a friend uh, whose kids had to move during the middle of the school year last year to a new area, and his oldest was a sophomore at the time, right in the middle of his high school, and, and had to shift completely, move to a different school, and it was really tough on him. You know, change can be hard on your family, 
And it's not uh, something that can always be avoided. Sometimes change has to happen. Sometimes you have to go through things that shake up your life in a, in a really intense way. But it's really important that you stand with each other and encourage one another and, and recognize that change isn't processed the same way by everyone in your family. So maybe your kids are, are struggling with this change and they need a little bit of extra attention or care in that time, or maybe it's your spouse. But you need to be there for each other through the storm of change. Um, the second storm is harmful values. Uh, can, I, can I say something that I've seen as a pastor and as a youth pastor, and, and um, there are a lot of children in our world today that are provided for but are not protected. What do I mean by that? I, I see kids who are consuming garbage all day long. Movies, books, TV, music. Um, well, maybe you're saying, I, I don't really want to make those decisions for my kid. Well, then you're not parenting. Okay, like you need to make some of those decisions for your kids because they're not capable of making good ones yet, right? That's part of the process of growing into maturity. They need help in those situations. Now, you cannot protect your kids from everything, but you need to protect their innocence to the best of your ability. Um, why are we so worried um, that they might miss out on some experience in their life that we're not willing to say, you know what? There's going to be boundaries in your life. There are going to be decisions that mom and dad make to protect you. And, and you know what else? Um, if they're going to miss out on something and they're going to feel persecuted by their friends, well, walking our kids through the process of, of persecution is one of the best things that they can learn while they're young. And these are not easy decisions. Right? In our house, we have very strict rules about technology and about social media and about what apps our kids are allowed to have or access. Um, I just spent an entire season around uh, teenage girls on my soccer team this fall that have no restrictions in their life in that area. And can I tell you something? It's not for their benefit. <laughs> um, we're talking about how we navigate through that as a family. And now you can, here's the crazy thing, you can do all the right things, right? You can make all the right decisions and your kids are still gonna be exposed to ungodly values and unhealthy things, right? That is going to happen. Um, but we need to do our best as parents to set up boundaries and to protect their innocence to the best of our abilities. And we do that because we love our kids and we care about them and we want them to be preserved and protect, protected. I look back at the rules and the safeguards that were in my life when I was a kid and a teenager, and I know my mom listens to our sermons sometimes online, so mom, just don't listen to this right now. <laughs> no. I used to make a promise that when I had kids, I would never make them follow all those dumb rules that my parents made me follow. Right? But today, I'm so grateful for the boundaries that were in my life to protect me. I'm not admitting this, Mom, okay? Just, just don't, don't rub it in later, okay? <laughs> um, here's, here's the third storm, rejection. You know, one of, the, one of the most amazing things that you can do as a parent is cry with your kids. When they're going through a hard time, to put your arm around them and to say, I, I feel what you're feeling right now. When you're hurting, I'm hurting. Um, some of us that are not as emotional 
uh, that's maybe a bit of, of a struggle for us. But can I tell you something? When you show that kind of vulnerability to your children, it means something. Right? They see that and they recognize it. Don't just tell them to blow it off. Uh, like when your son and daughter doesn't make the team or when they're uh, maybe struggling with something or when they feel rejected by their friends, don't blow it off. Don't say it's not that big of a deal. It's okay to mourn with them. Right? Learning to deal with rejection is important. And, and here's the other thing. If you protect them from all rejection their entire childhood, you're just delaying the inevitable. Everyone is going to face rejection at some point in their life, and it's better for them to learn how to deal with rejection when they're younger than to have them walk through their entire childhood and then walk into that rejection later in life where they don't have the support of a family alongside them. But nothing is more painful than being rejected by someone than coming home and being rejected there too. So we need to be able to mourn with our kids, to cry with our kids, to stand alongside them when they're going through hardship. And, and this isn't just for the kids too. Mom and dad feel rejection as well. So children, you can stand by your parents when they're feeling rejected. Husbands and wives, you can come alongside your spouse when they're feeling rejected by the people around them and affirm them as well. Here's the third thing that we can do. That's grow together. Grow together. Luke 2.52 says this about Jesus. It's, it says that he grew in stature, physical growth, in wisdom, intellectual growth, in favor with God, spiritual growth, and in favor with man. That's social growth. Um, every person in your family needs to be growing in all of these areas, whether you're Maybe not uh, as an adult, you need to keep growing physically, right? Eventually that, that stops naturally. But your children need to be growing physically, spiritually, socially, and um, intellectually. And we need as parents to facilitate that growth in our family. So um, most of your problems as an adult come from the fact that you didn't learn the most important thing in your childhood, um, so here are some skills that we can learn in a family setting. Always balance correction with encouragement. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Have you heard that one before, right? I came up with it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> like, people don't care uh, how much you know until they know how much you care. Uh, Rick Warren says this. If you don't know how to deal with conflict, you either become a skunk or a turtle. Either you let everyone know how upset you are and explode over everyone else, or you pull inside your shell. Now, this is a fact, by the way. Skunks marry turtles. Right? Generally speaking, okay? So if... if Often, what that creates is an unhealthy imbalance in a home. You have one person that's exploding, and you have the other person that's retracting within their shell. Um, and, and it's learning how to balance conflict in your life. It's learning how to deal with correction in a healthy way. 
So there needs to be a balance between correction and encouragement. That doesn't mean that discipline doesn't exist in your home. In fact, I would say the opposite is true. In, in our world today, we need to have more discipline in our homes, right? We need, we need families who lovingly know how to enact discipline with their children. Um, so if you don't discipline your kids, here's what happens. They turn into monsters, Okay. I just want to be abundantly clear about this. Nobody wants to be around you and your kids when you don't discipline them, right? It's not fun. And you're not like making their childhood better by not disciplining them. All you're doing is turning them into crappy adults, okay? Because they're going to grow up and they're not going to know how to behave and then nobody's going to like them, If you want your kids to have friends, teach them how to act like respectable human beings. (laughs) Okay, rant over, sorry. (laughs) Now, can I tell you something? The most important period of discipline in your child's life is between age two and five. If you do the work then... You won't have to work nearly as hard as they get older. If you fail to discipline in those ages, it's not all as hopeless at that point, but it's going to be an uphill battle, right? Maybe some of you have experienced that personally, and that can give a testimony to that. I know it's true. I've seen it, right? If you discipline at a young age and you teach your children how to behave appropriately at that young age, you'll help them as they grow older. Now, here's another one. Another skill that you can learn in your family is how to handle loss. This generation is, is filled with kids that have never experienced what it's like to lose. You know why? Because we don't keep score anymore. Now, I, I know this is a hot-button issue for some of you, right? And I'm not saying, like, at that five-year-old soccer, we need to have a winner and a loser, okay? That's not, that's not the point here. But in life, there are winners and there are losers. Today, when the Vikings play, all right, somebody's going to win and somebody's going to lose. And, and ultimately, that's a lesson that we need to learn in life, that, that sometimes you win and sometimes you lose. You know, one of the hardest lessons to learn is how to be a good loser. I'll tell you, as a soccer referee, I have seen this firsthand. The kids that know how to be a loser are the ones that, that are, end up being more successful. They can take disappointment. They can deal with it in a healthy way. They can move on and still be productive and still move on to the next game and have fun and enjoy it. They can shake hands at the end of the game at the end of the game with the other teams. If you want your kids to mature emotionally, teach them how to be a good loser. Even in the board games, this, I'll, I'll tell you something. I do, Kayla, Kayla can, can testify to this. She's back in the sound booth. I do not let my kids win games. No, 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 no. If you beat me, you're going to earn it. You know why? It is way more satisfying when they actually do it. Right? They, they know they earned it in that moment. Right? And, and one of the things that we learn through this process is how to lose gracefully, right? It's how to lose well. And then also, how to be a good winner. Nobody likes the person that's gloating every time they win. Just preaching to myself here too, okay? <laughs> 
One of the hardest lessons in life is how to lose well and how to win well. Proverbs 24, 16 says this, For the righteous falls seven times and rises again, but the wicked stumble in times of calamity. If you learn how to lose well, you learn how to get back up again. Resilience is the key to having a successful life. Um, one of the things that I've heard a lot of people say in my lifetime is, I wish I would have stuck with blank. Maybe it was piano lessons, or, or maybe it was a sport that they played, or, or something uh, that they started as a child and they quit. And now they're like, oh man, I wish I would have stuck with that. Um, learn how to stick with things and teach your kids that value of persistence. Here's, here's another one for your family. Value what matters most. Can I tell you something? Our world is teaching our kids a lot of their values. So bringing your kids uh, to church on Sunday is awesome. And I'm glad that you do that. And you know what's cool right now? Our kids in our kids' church and in our preschool, they're learning the exact same lessons, the same Bible stories as we're talking about on Sunday night. So when you, as we're talking about in our small groups. So when you come home from your small group, you can talk to your kids and be like, hey, what did you talk about this Sunday? Did you talk about, you know, last week it was Noah? And uh, you, can, you can actually have that conversation. And it's great that they're learning that. And, and you know what? Same with youth group right now. They're doing the same thing. They're studying the same Bible stories that we are as adults. And that's awesome that they're learning those values. And, and if you send your kids to junior Bible quiz, that's even better, right? They're learning about the Bible. They're learning about doctrine. They're memorizing scripture. But children's ministry has a limited impact, all right, we get your kids for maybe a couple hours a week. You have them for most of the time. And it's insignificant compared to the values that you impart in them as their parents. All right, so we're going to do the best that we can to partner with you because we know that your impact has far more value in their life than anything that we can offer. If you think that your kid's spiritual education is, is the time that you drop them off on Sunday morning or on Wednesday night, can I tell you something? There's more lessons to be learned than we can teach them in that time frame. And you have to be the spiritual leader of your household. You have to point them to Jesus. It's your job. It's your responsibility. God gave those children to you, not to us. we got our own kids to worry about, right? <laughs> Now, um, they're going to learn things from you like how to be a good steward with your finances. Whether church and faith is a priority in your life. They're going to watch your work ethic and how you deal with relationships with people at work. They're going to look at how you handle discipline. They're going to look at the habits that you have in your house. And can I tell you something? Habits determine character. So... Some of you are living with the consequences of not learning those values at home, but you still have an opportunity to impart those values to your children. And if you think that you're, they're not watching you and that they're somehow going to learn uh, some values other than what you're demonstrating and showing to them in your home, then you're kidding yourself, right? So, so value those habits Work on your character as well. Remember that you're setting an example for them and you're showing them what you prioritize. We help them grow through our example. 
John 13, 14 to 15 says, If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Jesus wanted his disciples to learn how to be servants, so what did he do? He served them. If you want your kids to have certain values, then you need to demonstrate it not only for them, but to them as well. Also, um, our kids learn through the conversations that we have. I can't believe some of the things I say that my kids pick up on. Right? Like I hear them saying stuff that, that echoes things that I've said. I'm like, oh man, I have, I have dropped the ball. I have failed. Deuteronomy 6-7 says, You shall teach them diligently to your children, talking about God's laws and his principles. And you shall talk of them when you sit down in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. Spend time talking about what steps they can take rather than maybe what they should do. Like teach them through conversation. And here are some ways that don't work. Okay, I I gave you your example and the conversations that you have. Here are some things that don't work. Criticism. Criticism. Uh, Colossians 3.21. Fathers, don't provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Here's another one. Comparison. Comparison never works. Uh, In other words, saying things like, why can't you be more like your brother or your sister or Johnny? Uh, If you want to make your spouse mad, some of you uh, write this down, don't do this, okay? Just start any sentence like this. Well, my mom always used to. (laughs) Now, I'm not going to say domestic violence isn't a serious issue here, but if you get dishes thrown at your head, you deserve it. Okay, <laughs> Galatians 6, 4 says this, let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. God says, don't worry about what others are doing. Worry about what you're doing. And don't put that on your kids either. All right? Set an example for them. Show them love. Lead them through, through humble conversation rather than criticism or comparison. All right, here's the last one, last key that, that we can do. Number four, serve together. Great families serve God and serve others. Now, I am the man that I am today because of my parents. One of the things um, uh, that, that my mom used to do when, when I was a kid, she would go out of her way to do something to help our youth pastor. We would have them over for dinner. Uh, She would give them Christmas gifts. Um, And sometimes our youth pastors drove my mom crazy because, you know, they were 20-something guys and they were disorganized and chaotic and flaky. And and, uh, guess what she inherited as her investment? Three boys who are all in youth ministry and church ministry right now, okay? I mean, like, it's crazy, right? My, my dad and I, uh, we used to serve together. We would, we would go in early to church and, and do the sound together. We would do sound together. And even as a little kid, I remember helping my dad. I, I don't know uh, if he did it every week, but it seemed that way, right? We would just go to church 
And I loved serving with him. In fact, sitting back in this, we had a, a separate room at our, at our old church. And sitting back in that room with my dad, and, and I remember those moments very well, playing tic-tac-toe uh, and, and on the bulletin and stuff like that. Um, we, we, I, that's where I learned the heart of ministry. And we need to teach our kids how to serve, how to do ministry, how to, how to love others. Acts chapter 10, verse 2 says, A devout man who feared God, this is talking about Cornelius here, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to all the people, and prayed continually to God. He modeled service to his family. He modeled generosity, and he modeled prayer. If you want to see your kids learn those traits, then you better model them with your life. I want to close with this thought. This is from Joshua chapter 24. At the end of his life, he makes this declaration. And he gives this encouragement says, now therefore, fear the Lord. Serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. And put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt. And serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your fathers they served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell but here was Joshua's commitment as for me and my house we will serve the Lord the greatest thing that you can give your family is to teach them to love your heavenly father it should shape all the decisions that you make as a family should be the number one priority. Now, I love it when you invest in the church because, I mean, it's kind of a big deal to me, okay? But can I tell you something? Invest in your relationship with your Heavenly Father. Teach your kids what it means to love the Lord. The rest of it will fall into place. Show them how to pray. Show them how to worship. Spend time with them and demonstrate a loving father to them, dads. Demonstrating a loving mother to them, moms. By doing that, you're giving them a picture of who God is. Their best understanding of who God is, their first understanding of who God is under, comes from their understanding of who you are. Right? You're a picture to them of who God is. Now, you're not a perfect picture, and you don't have to be. God doesn't expect that of you. But we need to do everything that we can to model the Father's love for us to them. And to make that decision and that declaration for me and my household, we're going to serve the Lord. We're not messing around with this other garbage. The world has a lot of things to offer. So listen, you need to make a decision today. My family will serve the Lord. I'm going to teach them what it means to love Jesus. As we close today, I want to give an opportunity. Maybe you're going through a mess with your family right now. Maybe you've got hardship in your family. Listen, we are the body of Christ. We're here to come alongside you 
and to stand with you and to pray with you. And I know that, that there's a lot of brokenness in families. And I mentioned at the beginning, I'm telling you, every family in Scripture, there's brokenness. Right? That is who we are. We're broken people, so our families are broken too. And that doesn't mean that God can't restore that which is broken. We serve a God who's our healer, and he heals not only our physical bodies, but he heals our hearts too. And I've seen God work restoration. In fact, there's pictures of that in Scripture where God took what was broken and renewed it and restored it. So can we just stand together in this place? And here's what I'm going to ask. If you're going through a situation with your family, maybe it's a child that has walked away from faith. Maybe um, it's a broken relationship. Maybe it's just a lot of tension or frustration that's going on in your family right now. So you don't need to tell us exactly what's going on. But what I'd ask is that you would acknowledge that with a raised hand this morning, and we're gonna just ask people to come alongside you and pray for you. And so if that's you this morning, and you got something going on, would you just raise your hand, something with your family right now? If you see a hand raised, uh, and, and your hand isn't raised, would you go find somebody and just stand alongside them? Let's make sure that every person with a hand raised has somebody to stand with them this morning and is praying with them this morning. Keep your hand up until you have somebody praying for you. Somebody in the back here. Lord, we thank you for our families. moms, for dads, for brothers, for sisters, for kids. Lord, we thank you that you know exactly what we're going through. And you don't leave us by ourselves in our hardship and in our struggles, but you stand with us, God. So Lord, we pray right now that you would begin the work of healing in our homes. You're a miracle-working God, and we trust in you, Lord. We trust in you. So, Lord, we're asking for you to work miracles. We're asking for you to restore brokenness. And, Lord, to bring healing into our homes. Lord, I pray for every parent here that's seeking to honor you and that's, that's choosing this day to serve you in their home. Lord, I, I just pray for a strength that comes from your Holy Spirit to make godly decisions. Lord, to rely on you, to demonstrate and to illustrate the Father's love in their home. Lord, I pray for children who are struggling with relationships with their parents. Bring them peace in their heart. Help them to be an extension of your love. Maybe even where a parent has failed. Lord, remind them that you are their perfect father and that you love them dearly.
Lord, we thank you for what you're doing in this room right now, God. That you're bringing restoration, that you're bringing peace, that you're bringing healing. So Lord, we lean on you. You created the family. Show us how to be a family. Jesus' name, amen.